Good afternoon. Today I have the lovely Will with me. Hello, Will. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, Donna. It's good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Will Dean. Um, I'm a British author, but I live here in Sweden in the middle of a gigantic forest. And I write a bunch of different things. I write the Tuva Mudison novels, which are kind of Scandinoir slash Twin Peaks set in Sweden. And I write standalone novels as well, which are not set in Sweden. Um, and I live, I live here with my wife and my, our son, who's seven, and a gigantic cat, forest cat, and a ridiculous St. Bernard. <laughs> also gigantic, but gorgeous. <laughs> um, did you always want to be a writer? Um, I never thought it was honestly open to someone like me. You know, I was a really shy, awkward kid as a, when I was growing up in the, in the Midlands, kind of uh, east of Nottingham. And nobody in my family was bookish. Like nobody had, nobody re read uh, no books in the house at all. The only thing I could read that wasn't from the library was the Argos catalogue. And so I never expected to be a writer, but I always knew I would be a lifelong reader. And I was just a really nerdy obsessive reader as a kid like my mom bless her she would take me to the mobile library truck and I would take out as many books as I could and yeah I was very happy just being a reader I was one of these people who said yeah I knew I was going to be a novelist when I was nine years old or I wrote my first book when I was 15 didn't have a clue like just did lots of different various different jobs uh through to my kind of mid-30s before I realized that I maybe wanted to try to write a story and then I was kind of hooked as soon as I started. I was like, wow, this is, this is like being a kid again, you know, jumping into a story and being immersed in a fictional world is it's quite addictive once you get into it. And it's something that as soon as I started, I kind of knew this is what I'm going to do until the day I die. This is, this is what I do now. But yeah, it was kind of a surprise to me as much as anyone else. What made you take that leap? What made you decide that's it? I'm going to write a book now. I think it crept up on me, honestly. I think I was read, you know, reading a lot through my childhood years and early teens. Then I had like a break where I didn't read so much as a mid-teen, like most teenagers have that break. And then I read Frankenstein and Train Spotting when I was like 15, back to back, those two, when I was working on a farm in a hut trying to sell fruit soft fruit and I read those two and I was like wow I'm I'm you know I'm back in and then I had like continual reading since then and then in my 30s I don't know I was reading but reading in a diff slightly different frame of mind I was reading and thinking of my own ideas all of a sudden and thinking maybe I should write something but do I want to tell anybody that I'm going to try to write something or do I just keep this as a secret project because it probably will never happen. It will probably fail. I'll probably be terrible at it. So I did do that for a while. I just kind of kept it as a, as a little idea and then started reading about how to write and, and trying to read stories in a more slightly more analytical way. And then when I moved here to Sweden to live in the woods, when I was in my mid-30s, that seemed like the natural time to face my fear and sit down and actually write a book. And um, are you a full-time writer or do you still have to do a day job? 
I'm a full-time writer, yeah, and I know how lucky that I am to be able to do that. Um, I, I've been a full-time writer for a while now, and that's partly because it's very low cost here where I live. You know, I live in a forest in a little, in a small clearing, and from our hut, if we walk for a full day in any direction, we're still in the same forest. We don't have many bills at all because our heating and cooking is all logs that I chop and windfall branches. And our water is, I take it from a well and stuff like that. So it's like a very simple way of life. But still, you know, I was lucky to be able to write full time fairly early on. And since then, yeah, I, I like it's what I do. And I'm very, very busy <laughs> doing it. And, and, uh, I take it seriously, you know, I, I feel very lucky to be able to do it. And I think that's partly because like I'm 42 and I've only really just got going. And I, so I feel very lucky that people want to read the books and I feel very, I feel this kind of responsibility that I need to write better books. I need to work on my craft continually. I need to aspire to be better year on year. And that does, that does take a lot of time. Yeah. Um, did your jobs um, that you've done when you were younger inspire any of your books? Have you used any experiences? Sorry, Donna, I missed that. There was a there was a bad connection, which is my fault being here. <laughs> no, it's, I think it's equally mine, actually. Um, have any of your um, jobs to date um, when you were younger inspired any of your books or have you used any of your experiences? That's a good question. Like, not directly, I don't think, but but I think it helps as a writer to have a, quite a lot of life experience and to have spoken to all different types of people and to have done all sorts of different types of jobs. So when I was um, through school, I, I, I did a lot of work on the weekends and on before school and on, on, on summer holidays, like a lot of kids do. And then through university, I kind of paid my way by working on building sites throughout the summer and on the, on the holidays. So working construction and then working in bars and restaurants and working retail, you know, in London on Oxford Street before Christmas, which is quite an experience every year. And, um, and then I worked selling discount haircut coupons on the streets of London for two years full time, like seven days a week, six or seven days a week. And I think all of those things, none of them helped me be a writer in a way, but in a way they also did help because they enabled me to understand people a little bit better by talking to strangers every day. And not hiding away, you know, as a, I feel, I feel sometimes for those writers who take it all very seriously from the age of 21, hide away. And I feel like that you, you can miss out sometimes on some real interactions with, with people, with characters and, and get an ear for dialogue, you know, get that kind of, that ear for, for rhythm and for the tone and for the musicality of dialogue sometimes, which, I personally, as a reader, love to read. Like if I read a book and the dialogue is realistic and it flows and it's natural and it's not all too perfect, then I'm in that story. I feel much more immersed in that world. So, yeah, I think all those strange jobs did help me to, to understand people a little bit. And to help you um, overcome your shyness, I would imagine. I know working in retail has helped me um overcome mine although people don't believe I was ever shy but I was <laughs> <laughs> no I 100% agree I have the same thing I was terrifyingly shy as a little kid 
And then having to do those kind of jobs for, for years and decades was really good for me because like you say, it, you kind of have to start talking to people and you, and you are able to relate to people quickly and you start to figure out that we're all kind of doing the same thing and fighting the same battles and dealing with the same issues week to week. And that's good in terms of empathizing with people, I think, and writing characters that people connect with because they're also going through their own stuff. You know, with the Tuva books, Tuva's really complicated and she's going through a lot in every book. And that's kind of like everyone that I know, you know all my friends and family, everyone's dealing with their own issues. So I don't, I, yeah, I believe very much in like three dimensional real people in books. Yeah, and it's amazing what people will tell you, um, especially working in retail. I'm constantly surprised at the stuff that people just blurt out and tell me. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm so rubbish when people tell me horrible stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm really sorry, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not easy. It's not easy. Um, and especially with serious stuff, it's difficult to deal with. But then I can always put it in a book. So that's, that's, that's always helpful. Yeah, perhaps that's how I need to start thinking. Although that feels kind of heartless, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, out of all the books you've written so far, who's your, been your favourite character to write? That's difficult. I know it's oh, not like really asking difficult. a favourite child, but... Yeah, it is. I mean, in a way, with, with, with these books, with the Tuva books... You know, obviously, I love Tuva very, very much. I feel very much like I know her now. I've just finished writing the fifth Tuva Moodison novel, which will be out, I think, end of next year or beginning of the year after. And she's really, for me, she feels very real and complex. And I'm, I haven't really understood her yet. So I like that aspect of her. And she's funnier than me and she's more fierce than me and she's more direct than I am. And I like all those things very much. But I also very fond of the, the woodcarving sisters in that series of books as well. You know, these two eccentric sisters who live in Utgard Forest who are kind of in their 60s and they don't take any nonsense from anyone and they live their very strange life by their own rules, you know, and they, they make these very creepy handicraft carved trolls and they sell them. And I like the fact that they're kind of, very strong you know in their bond in their sisterly bond and the way they live their lives they don't compromise for anyone and I often get emails and letters about those two you know asking are they going to be in the next book and can you do like a standalone just about those two characters <laughs> which I'm not sure I, I could do but <laughs> and then I also feel very uh strongly about the the protagonist in The Last Thing to Burn as well Dan because I feel like I put put her through so much in that book, and she's she has such like inner strength, quiet inner strength, and the way she battles through um, so much in that book, and and through to the end, I I, I felt very like uh, tense and worried for her all the way through, and and you can't really help but bond to a character when you've been through those 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 scenes you know and and especially like i don't think it's much of a spoiler to say she has a child halfway through the book and and the, emotionally to go through that is is a big thing and so i feel 
kind of yeah very connected to her as well yeah and um, so far that's the only book of yours I've read just because my TBR is insane but I did read it in about four hours and it's one of the rare books where I wanted to reach into the pages and strangle the guy because he was despicable so yeah that's that's quite a book yeah Len is a complete monster He's uh, probably the worst character I will ever write, I think. I think he's terrifying. And it's really quietly menacing, everyday kind of way, you know? Like, the, just the way he insists on certain foods being cooked in certain precise ways and the way he tries to control the way if she can open and close internal doors. Just, I mean, obviously more horrific things than that, but these small things terrify me. And the way he's kind of convinced himself that this farce of a life is a normal marriage. You know, like one of the most disturbing things to write was when he likes to watch TV at the end of the day and, and she sits on the floor by his chair and he kind of says, this is not a bad life, is it, Jane? And uh, we're all right, aren't we? You know, roof over our heads, food in our bellies, we're okay. And it's just like, oh, it's just terrifying how <laughs> how he's calm about all that. It's, yeah, yeah. I wanted to kill him as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't, I don't even know how you could write him. Just, oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think part of it is because I... Part of it is that I knew roughly what happened at the end and that fueled me through. But I did want to get to the end quickly because, <laughs> yeah, he, he is a, uh, he is an absolute nightmare. And he feel, for me as well, he feels very real. Like the way he talks, the cadence of his voice is similar to some guys that I used to work with on a building site when I was younger. It's very kind of flat. Uh, slightly emotionless kind of way of talking and th those guys were good guys they weren't bad guys but i kind of leveraged their voice in a way because there's such kind of there's such terror in 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 that and and there are people all around the world right now going through something not the same but similar you know being controlled within a domestic setting absolutely horrific yeah um out of all the books you've written so far what's been the most fun scene to write and what's been the most difficult which one's the most difficult? And which one's the most fun? Um, most fun. I uh, the two of the books are all fun, really fun to write. And you can kind of see my glee and enthusiasm in the stories. I'm able to go very strange in those books and do a lot of Twin Peaks, Fargo-style things. So tiny, isolated town in Sweden that's often cut off by blizzards or bad weather full of eccentric characters, you know, and it, because it's a small town, they have all those grievances and secrets and, and like generational rifts. And Tuva's a full-time newspaper reporter in this town. She's the only full-time reporter in this tiny little newspaper office. And I love writing about like the office politics and the humor because characters really come out. If you know someone's possessive over the photocopier or someone's labels their own food in the fridge this stuff really informs character and you really understand that we've all worked with these kind of people and also Tuva has her mentor which is her editor Lena she has a friend so there's a lot of there's a lot of friendship in those books so there's they're, they're scary and dark and atmospheric but also there's a lot of humor and friendship so I like that they're fun um the most difficult 
I find all books difficult to write. <laughs> Honestly, I find them really challenging and probably they're getting harder and harder because I'm more tough on myself or I, I kind of know where what I want to get to. And I find them all very difficult and I'm always worried they're going to fall apart on me. So I write the first drafts really fast in like three to four weeks because I'm terrified it will just spiral out of control and I'll go off on some ta wild tangent and it will be completely unpublishable, unreadable. But I think in a way, The Last Thing to Burn was the most difficult. It took me like five years to write it. And that's because I wanted to get the research right and do her justice. And at the same time, I was tense. I was more tense rereading that and working on that than the Tuva books because the Tuva books, you know she's going to survive because there's another Tuva book coming out next year. Whereas with The Last Thing to Burn, there's so much tension and intensity and fear. And it's all set on one farm, one Fenland farm in like four rooms. It's just very claustrophobic and awkward. And when I was writing it, I was very tense. And I felt my stomach tighten up, you know, when I was writing and when I was reworking it. Yeah. And even if I now get a clip, like if I have to do a reading at an event or if, if I hear a little bit of the audio book or something, it's like it gives me the shivers. <laughs> What's the most interesting thing you found while doing research for your books? That's a good question as well. I don't know. I, I think with, with the Tuba books, they involve a lot of folklore and local Scandinavian traditions and fairy tales and dark stuff like that. So I love going deep into uh, Nordic folklore. Like, and when I, even when I'm reading Swedish fairy tales to my kid before he goes to bed, they're really scary. <laughs> like they're really, really dark. And the, especially stuff around trolls, this tradition of trolls and who's Tomte, which are like trolls that aren't evil. They're not really, really bad, but they're kind of mischievous and grumpy. And a lot of Swedes kind of believe that these guys exist in the woods, you know, and I live in the woods. So it's kind of creepy to think, think about this. And a lot of Swedes semi-believe in a, in a way that I still find quite strange that these guys are, live in barns. And if somebody sweeps up a bit, it's probably a little tomped, a little troll. And the fact that the, the forests here and the wilderness is so kind of magical and exotic for me and wild, you know, we have moose walking through our garden we have wolves we have bears we have wolverines we have big lynx cats and and the forests are so vast epic in scale it kind of makes you question stuff and you you see things you know if in the winter it's dark most of the day in the summer it doesn't get dark at night we have these mists in the pine trees and it does make you uh, like a kid again. It makes your imagination go in, into overload in a way that never happened to me outside Nottingham because everything felt quite safe and normal. And, you know, you have your buses driving by and you have your Tesco on the corner. It's all, you know, it's, it's, it's just not got that wilderness aspect. Uh, you kind of have to go to Alaska or Siberia or somewhere like that to get that similar vibe of there is nobody here to help you if something goes wrong. There is nothing here. The police will not come. There are no police around here. Like where I live, there's no fire truck that can get to me through my road. So if there's like a forest fire, we just have to leave. There's nobody coming to help. And I find that very intriguing. And uh, I like doing research on that. You know, small town, quirky characters and that sense of isolation and northerly, northern, 
northernliness, you know, being very far north. So the seasons are exaggerated, like where we are now. And I write about this in Red Snow in the second Tuba Moody Song book. It gets down to minus 25, minus 30 yeah. in February. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously cold. And at that temperature, everything is different. Like you need to have your backup wood stores. You need to have your studded tires on your truck. You need to have um, your kid with like so many layers of insulation just to keep them alive. And if I go for a walk, in the woods i don't take my phone and i fall trip over and I break my ankle i haven't got the right gear on you know i'm dead in 20 minutes at that temperature so it's the research into all of that is very interesting and very um fun and i still find it really fun <laughs> God, this sounds terrifying oh. <laughs> Yeah, perhaps I'll just stay in my grotty town in the UK <laughs> with our fire <laughs> engines and police and stuff. <laughs> um, do you hide any secret jokes or messages in your books or any like Easter eggs? I guess I do. I mean, that, I think that's one of the big joys of writing a long-running series, you know. Um, Tuva 4, Bad Apples, comes out in next month. But they can all be read as standalones, the Tuva books. So they're slightly different to most series. You can start at number three and then read number one and it'll all make sense. It's more like a kind of a fictional universe, you know, a fictional town that I've created and a cast of characters. It's like if you watch The Office, The American Office, and you start on episode 20, and it doesn't really matter. You're going to get the same thing out of it. Um, but if you do read them in order, then I think there are Easter eggs or... I don't think of them as that. I think of them more as like recurring side characters that I really have a lot of affection for. There's a woman who used to own a stationery store in the fictional town of Gaverick, which is this tiny town of 9,000 people dominated by a Gothic licorice factory. So with two huge brick chimneys. So anywhere you are in, in the local area, you can always tell where the town is by these chimneys. And the whole town smells of licorice. And in this town, there's a bunch of different hunters because it's you know it's a forest area so there's it's normal to see people walking around with shotguns and rifles and hunt dogs which is for me that happens in my local town here and it's weird still i'm still not used to this um i've totally forgotten what the question was easter eggs that's right um yeah so there's side characters so there's this one woman in this little town who i we don't know her name but she used to own the stationery store selling papers and pens and, and pencil sharpeners and that kind of thing and that she had to close it down a few years ago because, you know, everybody buys that stuff online or in bulk or in the supermarket. And she's, she's really bitter about it. And she, she won't use the Internet on principle and she won't go to these shops on principle. And it makes her life really complicated, you know, because it would, it, everybody uses the Internet for these things. And she's she, her, I think her daughter. Uh, used to run a travel agency in another town and and likewise you know everybody books their holidays online so she just loathes the internet anything online and she often pops into the office into the newspaper office to have a chat with tuva and a rant and it's like a one-sided rant where tuva's deaf so if she hasn't got a hearing aid in she'll just kind of pretend to listen but normally she just kind of lets her do her thing and then she'll buy her newspaper and leave but i like that i like side characters and i like that in in TV series that I love as well. 
these sm- sm- small characters, like the log lady in Twin Peaks. I just, it's fun. And I think part of the fun of writing a long running series, you know, if I write 20 or 32 Vermoodison books, the woodcarving sisters are hopefully going to be in, you know, most of them, even in a very small way. I think your fans will demand it now anyway, by the sounds of it. <laughs> Sorry, Donna, I didn't catch that. I think your fans will uh, demand it now by the sounds of it anyway. <laughs> well, I'm happy to deliver that. I'm happy to do that. And with those books, honestly, I, I love just diving back into that world because I'm kind of familiar with it. So the streets of Gaverick and this new town that I'm writing in Bisberg, when I go to bed at night before I'm writing a new first draft, I'll walk around those streets in my, in my head, you know, in my mind's eye, and I'll look into the shops the shops fronts and see how those shopkeepers are doing you know see how the shoe store is doing and the the the, uh, the hunt shop and the police station see see which characters have come in and come and gone see who's kind of pregnant who's getting married who's died and i kind of understand the the evolution of this small town it's like being a kid again playing with you know one of those rugs where you have a street map on the rugs and you can move things around that's what i'm doing that's that's how I make a living now. Weirdly, <laughs> oh, that's a cool way of putting it. I love that. <laughs> uh, do you have any fears or phobias, and have you written about them, or would you write about them? Again, it's my it's my forest broadband. I didn't catch that, Donna. Sorry. Uh, do you have any fears or phobias, and would you write about them, or have you written about them? Ooh, fears and phobias. I don't know. I think more than like, I think everyone has the, has fears or kind of a background level of fear about things happening to your family and that kind of stuff. That's completely natural. But in terms of fear of heights or snakes or spiders, not really, not so much. I think I have to face a lot of those fears like on a day-to-day level out here. So they're, they're not so scary. Actually, one thing that's quite scary here or quite eerie is if people come to the forest. You know, like I'm not afraid of, um, of of the moose and the eagles that try and eat my forest cat and try and kind of circle around while he's walking around. I'm not afraid of these things. But if I hear someone walking up the forest track, that's weird because like, like, what are they doing here? Are they lost or are they trying to, you know, that's always quite eerie. Um, but I think I do leverage normal people's fears in each book. For sure, you know, whether it's claustrophobia, fear of being controlled and gaslit, fear of, uh, you know, isolated places or or the forest. Tuva is terrified of nature. She's scared of the forest. She's scared of redneck life, you know, which is kind of where I live. I live in a kind of very redneck area. And she's she's very much a city person who likes to be able to go out and have like sushi one night and a cheeseburger the next night and go to the cinema that's what she likes so I put her in somewhere where she's not happy and uh, I like that natural conflict so I use her fears a lot Um, but with me I guess the big primal fear that underlies a lot of my books is that fear of losing someone that you care about I figured that you probably wouldn't be scared of much, but you never know. You might be a, uh, a little girl yeah. when it comes it's to people, spiders really. or something. <laughs> spiders I'm fine with. It's people. It's, it's, and obviously the people turn out to be lovely, but you just never know here. And it's, it's just strange, like especially in the wintertime when it's 
pitch black at four o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, pitch black. There's no lighting at all. And I see or I hear someone walking up the our forest road, which is just one way for miles. It just leads to our place. And if I see they've got like a headlamp on or a torch and you see that light beam flickering around, it's very strange. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you made lots of author friends? Yeah, I have. It's, it's one of my favourite things about being an author that I never really expected or knew would happen is all of the events, all of the um, festivals and things and bookshop events. I just love meeting up with people in, especially in the crime thriller community, but also like just generally writers. Everyone seems really supportive of each other. You know, people just want everyone else to get along and do well and write their books and read each other's books. It's, it's, it's really nice. Like not on the whole, like 99.9% .9 of people are just great. And the same goes with bloggers and uh, booksellers and librarians and journalists. Like, I think readers are just good people generally. And we read about and write about the darkest things in society. But when we get together, it's just, it's just really nice. And do you get much feedback from your readers? Yeah, from readers, um, you know, on, on Twitter and Instagram and, and Facebook, but also on YouTube. You know, I have a YouTube channel called Will Dean Forest Author, where I try and give back some tips and some advice to young writers because the industry is really kind of opaque sometimes. It's difficult to know how to get an agent and how to get a publishing deal. So I try and kind of explain how that all works from the inside. And then I get letters. Uh, most of them are lovely. Some of them are a bit odd. I got a letter last week from someone with like, it was, it was, I won't say which country it's from, but it was a letter, very nice things about the books, which is lovely. And then like 500 like jam labels. And he was asking me to sign them all, like autograph these jam labels, these little tiny stickers, like hundreds of them. I don't know what he was planning on doing them, selling them on eBay for two pound each or something. I don't know, but it was, it's a strange request. <laughs> Has that been the strangest so far? Say again? Has that been the strangest request so far? I've been asked to sign some strange things. Uh, people, people, people's uh, bodies, which I've politely said no to. <laughs> I'm happy to sign books. That's about it. <laughs> but most, no, 99.9% .9 is just um, straightforward, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, what's been your favourite stand-up moment so far since you became an author? One more time, please, Donna. What's been your favourite stand-up moment so far since you became an author? Favourite moment? Uh, there's been a few. There's been a few. I mean, I think seeing my first book, Dark Pines, in print, is a huge thing. It's just quite an emotional thing. And seeing it in Waterstone, seeing it in a bookshop for the first time, flying in from the forest, because here it doesn't really feel real that this stuff is happening. With each book, I'm like, is this really actually happening somewhere? Because I don't see, there's no bookshops where I am. So I have to fly over and then I see it for the first time. And that's quite emotional. But then things like Val McDermott picked it for her new blood panel at Harrogate in 2018. That was massive because 
the year before as a reader, as an unpublished writer and as a reader, I was seeing the audience watching four authors plus Val, you know, everyone who I admire a great deal. I honestly didn't think that the year after I would be on stage talking about Tuva and Dark Pine. So that was, that was wild. And the same year, you know, it was picked for the Zoe Ball Book Club on ITV. Again, never expected that, you know, tube posters, the whole thing. It was very strange because, you know, being completely transparent, I'd signed with a small publishing house, you know, an indie publishing house, brilliant publishing house, a very literary. And I'm there, one of their only crime authors back then, but, and it was a small deal. So they didn't expect this to happen either. Like nobody expected this to happen. This was, this was a word of mouth thing that was just totally random. And people talking about it and thank goodness readers tell each other when they read something that they like. And that's, that's exactly how it happened. So that was very nice surprise, you know, and since then there's been lots of highs, you know, uh, Lionsgate have optioned the Tuva series for a recurring TV show, which is also like a dream come true. So things like that, there's, there's, there's a few things that are just uh, still mind blowing and I try not to think about them because it's, it all feels very far away from here and I just my job is to sit down and write the next book so that I try and focus on that as much as I can so what's your biggest dream I think I mean in a way it's to write a book that I'm really 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 proud of that's kind of perfect but I know I'll never get there and I think that's why I write because I know it's I'll never reach that so my dream really is to just keep improving and that sounds quite boring. Like, I don't really care about winning a big prize. I don't care about having a book that sells 10 million copies. I don't really care about any of those things. They're all nice. Don't get me wrong. They're lovely. But it's not why I do this. What I care about is that with each book, with each year, with each decade, I'll get a little bit better. And by the time I'm 50, 60, 70 years old, hopefully I'm writing really well. You know, and I, I and, and I'm happy with my books. That's, that's 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 my dream, and just to be able to keep doing this, simple as that. I think uh, some people would argue that you're writing well now. I don't think they. <laughs> uh, that's very nice to hear, and uh, but you know, even if you just incrementally improve, like a tiny bit each book, that's really hard to do, and. And I like that challenge of trying to push yourself, getting out of your comfort zone, trying to do stuff you haven't done before, break out into different genres. Or, or I like to skirt on the edge of genres. I think that's a fun place to be between genres. So yeah, I just uh, try and keep doing it. And I think the best way for me to try to improve is to read other people who are brilliant. That's what I've always tried to do. And that's the best way to learn, I think. So if you ever get any free time, what would you like to do with it? If I get any free time? I get some free time. I mean, I try to make sure I have some free time with my wife and my boy. I, I have a, like a workaholic tendency where I just work. I just write and read and develop ideas. And I have to snap out of that. It's not healthy. So I have to force myself to like take my boy um, uh, to the beach and we go for a swim, like a wild swim. He's getting good at swimming now. So we do that. He helps me like chopping wood last summer. One of my favorite memories last summer, because obviously like, like everyone else, we couldn't go anywhere or do anything. So we built a tree house for him 
uh, him and me together, and he was great. He had his little, I had my tool belt on, and he had a, I bought him a little tool belt, and he had a little hammer hanging off it, and uh, and he had such stamina and staying power. I was so impressed, like way more than I had when I was seven. I would start work at eight thirty in the morning on this treehouse. And it was a good like hundred yards into the woods, so we had to drag all the timber over there. And I would have some on my shoulder, and then he would have like a five meter long plank on his shoulder, and he would just match me hour by hour. I mean, I don't know what he was doing. He was like hammering a tree or something. <laughs> it wasn't particularly useful, but he was out there working hard <laughs> and doing whatever he was doing, and uh, it was great. And it was such good quality time just being outdoors with him. And I would still be working at nine o'clock at night because it would still be bright sunshine and he would still be there. And it was great. It was a really nice memory. That's lovely. If you have pictures of that anyway, I'd love to see. Yeah, I will. I'll put them, I'll tweet them again because that happened, uh, I think it was last July. So I'll, I'll put some on Twitter. And uh, yeah, yeah it was a, it's, it's a pretty good treehouse. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. <laughs> Um, if you're able to spend any day um, or a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Wow. My, my brain like immediately jumps to Stephen King because he's getting older now and he really kind of got me through my awkward teenage years. Just hiding away and reading his books got me through a lot of hard times. And I'm so grateful to him for that you know and I think that's probably all of us to some extent relied on his books in our teenagers and 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 as a storyteller now his book on writing I read it every couple of years or every year even and it gives me a huge amount of comfort and confidence that I need because I tend to lose confidence just before I write new manuscripts so his book helps me out with that and I'm just very fond of the guy he seems like a normal good dude so I would love to go out for a beer with Stephen King not a beer actually he doesn't drink anymore <laughs> uh, a glass of water with Stephen King would be great and and uh, but also Cormac McCarthy is another hero of mine and those guys are both getting on in years so I would like to see both of those before they get too old and then dead I'm going to go for a live and dead here I'm sorry to break your rules um would be probably Shirley Jackson who wrote The Haunting of Hill House and we've always lived in the castle. I love her books. And she seemed like just have this huge darkness within her, within her storytelling, like when she wrote The Lottery and The Witch and stuff. So I would love to, to uh, have a dinner with her. She would be great. And when you go to these festivals, is there anyone you fanboy over or is there anyone you get overawed when you see them? So many people still, so many people. I mean... I was at the National Book Awards uh, 2018 with Dark Pines. I was shortlisted, but I did not win. And Ian Rankin was there. He was shortlisted. He didn't win either. And we kind of hung out at the bar with, with a pint each. And I couldn't believe it. You know, he, he's one of my heroes. And, and I kind of went up to him like to shake his hand and introduce myself. And he already knew who I was, which I was surprised by. And then... We just spent a lot of time chatting and uh, lovely guy. Also very down to earth, great guy. And Val as well, Val McDermott, when we had the new blood panel, I was just like, and still am in awe of her, in awe of her spirit and her 
her work, her productivity and her storytelling, the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, there's so, I mean, probably half the authors at each of festival I'm in awe of and and am a fan of and love to meet. Um, yeah. And it's 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 great to be able to read their books and then chat with them. It's great. Yeah, my one of my favourite memories of Harrogate is just sitting there on my own in the tent and there was no one else around because they're all off on doing something. And I was just reading and Ian Rankin came past and just wished me good morning. I was like, hi. <laughs> that was very <laughs> odd. <laughs> I was like, okay. Just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, I know. I just I went all shy at Harrogate. I don't know what got into me. Well, I spoke to you, but um, Bow, I didn't. Yeah, I remember you saying that you don't. When we have when you do these interviews, you haven't often met the person in real life before, and this time we have, which is nice that we got to chat before we did this. Yeah, I think you're maybe the second or third person actually out of all the hundred and whatever I've done that I've actually met in real life. So that's pretty cool. Um, okay, silly question. Who was your first celebrity crush? Did you say celebrity crush? Yeah. Does it have to be book related? No, whoever. I don't know. I don't really... I don't know. Uh, celebrity crush. Man. I don't really have one. <laughs> I can't think of one right now, honestly. What about when you're a I teenager? When I was a teenager, I mean, I had a, I, I'll be honest with you. My bedroom wall when I was a teenager, I had like a train spotting poster. I was, I was obsessed with train spotting. I had a forest poster, which was, you could see where I was going to end up. I think I had a Baywatch poster. <laughs> I've got to apologize for that, but that's just, I was a teenage boy. What are you going to do? And I had a space shuttle poster and I had a Metallica poster. That was a thing, wasn't it? We used to go to, I don't know, HMV and look through posters. Or I did at least. And you buy your poster, take it. It's a weird thing to think about now that we did this and put it on your, pin it up on your wall. And then we used to move around a lot as well. We used to have to move sometimes like three times a year, different places. And, I would like roll them all up and take them with me. So yeah, I, I, honestly, I'm not giving you a very good answer on the crush thing, but um, I'm not that bothered about celebrities, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not too far apart in age, but I think uh, um, instead of HMV, I just took mine from magazines, <laughs> from Guardian yeah. magazine. So, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. And I don't remember either if someone asked me or people have asked me recently. I'm like, I don't know. That's a long time ago. to remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I was to ask your darling wife what your most annoying habits were, what would she say? Oh, man, she would say so many. She would she would be with you for an hour, two hours. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I mean... I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I shouldn't <laughs> incriminate myself. I don't know. So many things. I mean, I'm not very tidy. Um, I'll come in having work. I have to work outdoors every 
day pretty much just to tick, keep things ticking over, you know, with the engines and with, with, and with the log piles and stacking wood and chopping wood. So I often come in and just leave a trail of sawdust through. And that sounds terrible, but I'm not expecting her to clear it up. Like I, I do my share of the cleaning. This is Sweden. Everything is done very equally. This is very 21st century in Sweden. There's no like you do the cleaning and I no, I, I do my share, but I don't really care if there's some sawdust in the middle of the hallway for a day or two. I don't really care about that, but she does. So me making a mess. Uh, when my son and I are together, we often make an extreme mess <laughs> as well. Uh <laughs> Yeah, stuff like that. But um, hopefully, I make up for it at the end of the day. I'll cook dinner or do the dishwasher or something. So I think it's 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 that thing, isn't it? With couples, there's always a slight friction. There's a slight mismatch in how tidy someone is. Or when we go to the airport, right here, here we get stuck often behind a big lumber wagon loading up logs or a tractor, and that can extend your journey by 20 minutes easily. So I like to leave like a long time before a flight. Like I like to get to the airport two hours before and give myself plenty of time, no stress, have a coffee at the airport. And my wife, for some crazy reason, likes to arrive like just before the plane takes off, it seems to me. <laughs> and I never understand this. She likes the stress of it, the intensity, you know, the adrenaline. You have to drive 100 miles an hour to get there. So that's always a that's always a conflict, and and uh, she normally wins, but that's <laughs> always a a thing. Yeah, it's safer that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, if you were to have any superhero power, what would you choose? Superhero power. <laughs> I think the 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 uh, power, the ability to write books like <laughs> knowing that i could do it knowing i can write the next book that's a that's not really a superpower but you know what i mean like having the confidence to know you can do it to pull it off because i'll have an idea and then i'll start talking myself into the fact that i can't pull off this idea it's not going to work it's not going to be resonating with readers it's not i'm not going to get to the essence of the story in time and i can kind of lose track lose confidence in that so to be able to just be like yeah i can write this book and then go and write the book save a lot of hassle and time and soul searching <laughs> um superpower to be able to carry my dog on my shoulder would be good because he's uh he's about 95 kilos now he's like i don't know what that is 16 stone and i can i can carry him a bit but like he's so long that i can't i'm not it's not like having a normal dog and being able to carry him put him in the car bernie is a, is a handful he's he's massive he's like so yeah for to be for me to be you know six foot seven six foot one that would help so i can just like handle him but i can handle him but i can't throw him over my shoulder and <laughs> <laughs> um, um, why do you want to throw him over your shoulder <laughs> Why do I want to put him over my shoulder? Because <laughs> yes. he's just very naughty. You know, he's a St. Bernard. And now I've realized why there's no St. Bernards in the military or in police, <laughs> police dogs. <laughs> like I've, I, when I was a kid, we had a big Rottweiler and he was just a totally different mentality. He would like look up to me constantly for the next command. And he was very easily trainable. And you'll go out in, in a busy group crowd and he'll be right by my heel the whole time. 
And Bernie is like that sometimes if he feels like it, but he's so big that occasionally he'll just be going, I'm doing what I want to do today. You know, I'm, I am bigger than you. <laughs> I'm just going to do what I want to do. So uh, if I could just pick him up and just take him home on my shoulder, sometimes that would be quite good. Okay. That sounds much less weird. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had a little dog, so it was fine. We could just pick him up and take him. You you are wise. That's the, that's the way forward, I think. Yeah, but, you know, they're, they're little in big dog's bodies, so not always. <laughs> he would totally take on a St Bernard if he could have. Because he was stupid. <laughs> it was the size <laughs> of his head. <laughs> well. I think Bernie would Bernie would totally back down and think that your dog would have defeated him because Bernie is a coward. He's a massive coward. So. <laughs> um, so are you working on anything at the moment and do you know what's coming next? Yes, I'm working. So I've just ha- delivered Tuva 5, Tuva Moodison Book 5. Tuva Moodison Book 4 is out this October next month and that's set around Halloween it's a very creepy spooky atmospheric book and two of a five is set in the springtime when the snows are melting and then uh, the follow-up to the last thing to burn my next standalone book is out next spring and I can't tell you the title yet or I will get into a whole bunch of trouble but it's um it's another very intense standalone fairly short standalone novel set in new york i can tell you that much mm-hmm. and uh that will be out next spring and then i'm working on the next standalone and the next two books so yeah i'm i'm busy well you may be relieved to know that i don't have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything that i haven't asked you that you want to tell us no i think this has been a real pleasure and thank you for doing this with authors you know we really appreciate it and it's nice to be able to chat with you and uh, thanks for everything you're doing with the group as well it's an absolute pleasure uh, i love it i love every minute of it so it's it's cool no, we appreciate it thank you so just before we go would you like to remind everyone where they can get your books from and where they can find out more about you yeah so for me uh twitter is probably the best place uh, at willardine mainly dogs and mushrooms and stuff, but also some book news. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube at Will Dean Forest Author. That's the best if you're like a, a writer that's keen to, to, to work on your next book or to keen to find an agent. Uh, and the next book, this uh, Bad Apples is out next month, as I keep saying, and that is, you'll find that everywhere. And that's out in hardback next month. It's available on ebook now. And The Last Thing to Burn is out in hardback. That came out earlier this year. And I think that's out in paperback end of the year or beginning of next year. Um, so they're both, yeah, you can read them both now if you want to. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Donna. <laughs>